This team, man. This freaking team. Just embarrassing. Let's get into it. All right. Welcome, everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. How you doing, Rich? Derek, I'm doing fine. I uh, I know a lot of people are hurting out there right now, and uh, let's let's get into it. You know what? We were going to do a podcast yesterday. You reached out. You said, Derek, I want to do a podcast right now. I said, no, Rich, why don't you back off, take at least more than a day off to start your off season. We don't want you getting burned out. That's That's funny because you sent that tweet out yesterday, just, <laughs> I think, of Doc praising Tyrese yeah. Maxey's work ethic, which he's, it's kind of along the lines of things he said this year where they have these things, I think they call them blackout days or something like that, where, or black curtain days, something where Tyrese Maxey, don't leave your house. You, uh, <laughs> you're not allowed to work out because our sports science department says you've been playing too much, basically. Uh, that is what Doc was saying. But every Doc tweet right now is a bomb, man. You you put that out into the ether and people are going to react. <laughs> the quote that I was referencing here, um, Doc Rivers says, uh, you know, he basically said that Tyrese Maxey tried to meet with him yesterday, uh, the day after the season ended, to go over what to work on next week. And Doc said, I refuse to meet with him today because I think he should be taking more than a week off. That's what I was referencing there to start. The I sent that out. And honestly, I sent it out just thinking, like, that's Doc praising Tyrese Maxey's work ethic. That's all it was. And Twitter blew up, which I get because right now everyone is on high alert. There's a lot mm -hmm. of frustration. There's a lot of anger. Get all of that. Um, but that was just the joke I was making to start the podcast. Because quite frankly, after watching what we just watched here in the last two games, uh, a couple of jokes here and there are necessary. I will say. Well, let's let's add one more joke, too, because... I mean, let's be real. It's, this is all going to be sadness. Paul Reed, when he was laying out his goals, <laughs> saying that I'm a terrible leaper. I got to add 10 to 15 inches to yep. my vertical yep. is, I mean, that honestly. Which, by the way, I, I went back and I looked up his vertical at his combine. 37 and a half inches. If he adds 15 inches, he would be the greatest leaping big man of all time. All time. Uh, yeah. 10 to 15 inches is not a reasonable goal over an offseason, over the course of a Career. Yeah, course of a life, life yeah. uh, to add to a vertical leap, but aim high, literally aim high in this case. Paul Reed, uh, love that dude. That was hilarious. <laughs> One thing that did not age well, our last podcast, which were released after game four, in which no. we were very optimistic about this team's chances here against the Heat, maybe a little less so in the next round if they made it, but they came out with games five and six, which were two of the worst efforts in a high stakes game I have legitimately ever seen from this franchise. And I'm, to be clear, like we were both in attendance for game seven last year against the Hawks. Like we are not strangers to very, very disappointing efforts, but for them to come out there and follow up, what did they lose game five by 35 points, something of that sort. I can't do math in my head at this 35, point. 35. Yeah. I think. It was a lot. It was a fucking lot to come out there with that effort in the second half was just mind-blowing and the one image i will not get out and it took me a little while to actually watch this game 
had some complications getting there, yada, yada, yada. I didn't actually watch the full game until 24 hours after it happened, which let me tell you, that was a fun watch when you know what's going to happen. The one image that will knock it out of my head is that floorboard that Jimmy Butler got midway through the fourth quarter when they were up by like 17 or whatever. And Tobias Harris and James Harden just watched the ball bounce on the floor, made no effort to box him out. Jimmy Butler comes swooping in from like the foul line and gets a freaking offensive rebound off the floor in the corner. They got crushed in every which way. Not only did they not know how to attack Miami's fronting defense or their zone defense or their even when Miami went to a more traditional pick and roll defense, they had no real game plan to attack it. But they got beaten every hustle category consistently here over the last two games to the point where I think they even lost the free throw battle to Miami uh, throughout the series. It was a pathetic, and I really like They're, they a, shot six free throws the other night. I know. Six free throws. I know. And the, nobody complained about the refs afterwards. It, they shot six free throws. They had a 21.7% free throw rate over the course of a series. And look, Joel Embiid, you know, he was the Black Knight and Monty Python by the end of it. Like, he had nothing. Sorry, seven free, seven free throws. Sorry. It doesn't matter. Apologize. He, I, if there's one person I'm going to give a pass to, I understand why he was not playing up to his normal level. But this was mm-hmm. a team who, like, getting to the free throw line was supposed to be a way that they overcame their other deficiencies. And they didn't get there, not because they didn't get a whistle. They didn't get there for any other reason. Then they just stopped attacking and it was just pathetic. And I really hate using words like that because especially now that we're two days removed from it, like you would think that we would have more to offer. It almost sounds like we're going back into like sports radio tropes, but that was a pathetic, pathetic effort. It's, it's a great way. You just put that there. There's no way to get around that. They got outworked. They got out hustled. Miami like wanted a Miami wanted to or be a there half more. or a game. Like they got out hustled for eight straight quarters. Miami just broke their spirit in a way that was, I, on the one hand, super impressive by them. Considering you know we talked about the pod we did after Embiid came back when the Sixers were right back in the series. So for them to flip the switch and just when it it turns out to be winning time, they just wanted it more. But yeah, I mean, look, like last year, we were freaking out because that was worthy of a freak out because the Sixers lost to a worse team than them because they did stupid stuff and they shrank from the moment, all of those things. I I think Miami was a better team. So in one way, and Embiid was hurt, obviously, like you said, missed two games and, you know, by the end of it was not the Joel Embiid that you would need to beat the Miami Heat. But this was disgusting, man. Like, the the way they went out, you can't go out that way. You can't treat a playoff elimination game like it's February against the Orlando Magic. You know, it's just, for you to lose that way, it's, uh, go out firing. And it really was disgusting. I mean, you talk about the, the Jimmy board. I'll just say like PJ Tucker running by Harden yeah. four or five times in the second half for rebounds. And uh look, I, I guess we we're bearing the lead, I guess, a little bit here. It's not the first time he's done it in his career. I think a lot of people would uh would let you know about that. I think a lot of people were talking about it on Twitter after the game. That was absolutely disgusting from James Harden. Disgusting. disgusting. Brutal. 
Like, uh, so you forced a trade here. This is an elimination game. Yeah. You just got killed the game before, and you are like one, two, three, Cancun. I don't want to play. Horrible. And it's again, you're you're so right about. I don't want to make this sports radio tropes. I don't want to make this. You got out toughed. You got out hustled. No, that's what happened. Yeah, no, they cared more than yeah. you. And everybody on your team after the game was over said it. Said, it. said it. Yes. And, <laughs> and by the way, they say it in like a general version of, oh, we need to get tougher as a team. No, they, they mean it's like I'm looking at Joel and Bede like even I got the Black Knight reference from uh from Monty Python. Even I got that one. It's not that he's not tough enough. We all know that. I, I think Tyrese Maxey needs to improve and needs to become more consistent. I'm not questioning that dude's toughness and that dude's effort. So who, who are we talking about? Like, yeah, I guess maybe Tobias a little bit, but I mean, it's to, to be honest to me. So there's uh, a couple. No, but let me, let, let oh, me finish it though. They're talking about James Harden. That's who they're talking about. That's the guy who needs to be tougher. And it, for somebody who is, is it so many of those bad performances throughout his career? Dude, shoot six of 24 from the field. Do that. Seriously. You were giving the ball to Shake Milton yeah. in the second half and saying, Shake, you got this. Like, I am too afraid. I have too, I'm too checked out to run offense. I don't know what to do with that. That is, ah, uh, it was disgusting to watch. Sorry. I mean, look, I think outside, once you get past Joel Embiid, there's a lack of tough, toughness pretty much up and down the roster. And sometimes I'm talking about mental toughness. Sometimes I'm talking about physical toughness. Like Tyrese Maxey, I think, is mentally tough, but he's physically frail. Yeah. Everyone outside of Joel Embiid and maybe Shake Milton, like I'll give Shake a little bit of credit, especially <laughs> for the way he showed up there in the final two games, really the only one to show up. But Shake's nobody, got that dog in him. He's got a little bit of dog. Nobody else on the team <laughs> does, though, outside of Joel Embiid. And watching, you know, I thought game five when Miami just physically manhandled the Sixers, watching that when you realize, well, Joel Embiid's not up to his typical standards, then you look at everyone around him and there's just not that combination of mental and physical toughness really on many players on this. You go to George Yang and his rebounding, James Harden and what you saw there in game six. There's just not a whole lot to fall back on in that regard. And it becomes really pronounced when Joel Embiid's not his normal self and you're playing against one of the, the physically tougher teams in the NBA and they just got whooped and they have them come out there and to a person say, we have to work on our mental toughness. I'm not a hundred percent sure how like 28 and 30 year olds work on their mental toughness. It feels like something that you either have or you don't at this stage of their career, which is really, if you're a Sixers fan unsettled hearing that I get it. It was funny. We're hearing everyone talk about mental toughness throughout the post game press conferences in game six and then the exit interviews. And we're going, yeah, we get it. We all watch the same series. Like, at least they're not completely oblivious to the fact. But also, well, how am I supposed to have confidence in this group of players figuring it out in future years? And uh, I don't even know where I want to go. There's so many things to touch on. So I, I think you I, brought I, just, up I, I can't believe Harden. It's unbelievable. No, I, ben, ben Simmons, he, that was a disaster last year. And we spent a lot of words and a lot of angst after the season was over about what a pathetic playoff performance he put forth. Uh, I think that dude has some serious anxiety issues, though. No, I mean, look, there's a way that this is a lot more understandable from Simmons' perspective, especially the farther we get removed from it, whereas what we just saw is just infuriating. And you brought up a good point. Like, last year was so tough because the Sixers were the favored team. Whereas it feels like a lot of what happened this year was almost what you would have expected to happen. Like yeah. if you go back at the time of the trade and listen to our podcast, even after the trade, 
I said, well, the Sixers probably only have like a single digit percent chance of winning a championship. And it would go through all kinds of reasons from familiarity with Embiid and Harden to lack of depth. Uh, there's just reasons why this might not be the year. And then you come into the playoff series. I think you picked Heat in five. I picked Heat, p- picked Heat in six. So losing the series was, again, sort of part of the plan. Like, we expected this to happen. But the way that it came about is just a combination of infuriating and also terrifying when you project going forward. You know, part yep. of the reason that, first of all, there's just a getting outworked aspect to it. And I don't know how you fix that with this collection of players. And by the way, changing the players is starting to become increasingly more and more difficult, especially if you give Harden a new contract and sure as hell we'll get into that contract. Not in this podcast because I feel like we have a lot to get to, but certainly over the next couple of weeks. And you talk about Tobias Harris's contract. You talk about the last lack of draft picks. Um, there's It's becoming tougher and tougher to reshuffle this roster. And so if you have that lack of toughness, mental and physical, oh boy, that's a big problem. But also there's the fact that part of the reason you have so little depth is because you waited to use all of your resources until you were able to get that running mate for Embiid because you gave up some of your depth in that trade for Harden. And you're sitting out here now, part of, of what you were banking on, all right, maybe they're not ready yet this year, but you have a core, you have a foundation so that in future years, you know what to add to, you have that base. You're left with more uncertainty about that base than you've ever had. And you're looking at James Harden and you're saying, that's the guy who's supposed to be the championship level running mate? That guy who wasn't even... and <sighs> There's so much. I'm just so the- frustrated with this team. <laughs> and there's a part, like, look, it's one thing for all of his deficiencies and all of his weaknesses when he was an offense unto himself. Like, all right, you don't want to move off ball? Fine. You want to dribble between your legs 15 times and run out the shot clock? Fine. You want to not give effort on defense or on the boards? Okay. You're the most dynamic, unstoppable offense in the league. He's giving you 30-plus points on 60-plus true shooting. Come on. I'll take that. If he's going to get to the point where he can't get past Isaiah Ike Stewart, if he's going to completely check out out of Game 6 in the playoffs, all of those deficiencies, including taking care of his body— become magnified to the point where they become really, really terrifying. And this is a guy now who has to adjust his game, who has to, you know, you're talking about coming back from that hamstring and uh, take care of his body in a way that he never really has before, who has to grow and become an off-ball player and rededicate himself to moving off-ball and becoming a better team defender. And I don't know why you would have confidence in him changing who he is as both a preparer and a player when he's hasn't shown that in a decade plus, it's just, there's so much uncertainty with this team. And that's what the James Harden trade, even if you weren't in a position to contend this year, the James Harden trade was, was supposed to give you certainty going forward. And I feel like we're as uncertain as we've ever been. Yep. It's a, it's a major question moving forward, but just for today, we cannot emphasize enough his lack of competitiveness in that game is just disgusting and two games in a row where you know you have that sequence at the beginning of the fourth quarter they take Embiid off the court and by the way the fact that Embiid as far as we know and by the way this is classic knock on wood because there's always something with the Sixers as far as we know he made it out unscathed compared to what he already was dealing with that is 
eye is okay. His thumb will get surgery. It's what he said after the game. Eye's not going to need surgery. Thumb is. The fact that he's not any more injured or anything like that would be a massive win for the Sixers. Because that dude, it's such a bummer that his season ends with him just playing a terrible game because he's like concussed, man. Because he was, I mean, he shouldn't have been playing, but that dude is such a warrior. And you know what? He said it after game five in Miami that it's a lose-lose, that people will criticize him when he's not playing well, or they'll criticize him for not playing because he's hurt. I really hope, and I, I think he he knows this. Nobody is criticizing him. Like he's not catching any of that, and deservedly so. I mean, that dude. Uh, I feel, look, I'm not going to call him out, but I've definitely heard some. You will never win with Joel Embiid because he's always injured. Trade him now takes. I've seen that from various members of the media. I would say it's out there, not from the majority of the fan base, but it's occasional. Okay, well, yeah, you're right. You can't get unanimity on on a single take uh, unless you win a championship but I really think a lot of people appreciated what Joel did and, and playing and it I guess it, it just kind of sucked for him that it kind of hit him after two two games he uh you know he came back and yeah he wasn't himself in the first two games but his presence was it was transformational it completely shifted the series for a couple games and then yeah he just he just did not have it offensively he could not be the the singular offensive force that he has been. And you compare that to Harden and the the possession at the beginning of the fourth quarter, because they take Embiid out because he's gassed. Like I've almost never seen him be gassed. And Maxi tries to throw Harden the ball. By the way, this was Maxi's fault. I don't know why he kind of threw a lazy pass to Harden at half court and Oladipo steals it. They both have their hands up. Like what the fuck, man? They, but their, their body language in that moment is poisonous. Yep. Those two are looking at each other where they're just completely frustrated. Next possession, Harden gets Oladipo on an island. And he can't beat him twice. And he turns the ball over, like dribbling between his back on a I mean, on a no hope play. And there's just, I mean, it's really sad. Miami runs down and they get a an alley oop. It's uh it's really sad. And, you know, I you know, we'll talk about his lack of burst, because that's that's a huge part of this. That's a huge part of the next contract, but again, I, I just come back to the point that James Harden, after basically forcing a trade this year, he wanted to be in Philadelphia after, you know, a lot of really rough playoff exits, you know, a chance to change the narrative, a chance to at least win this series. He quit. He quit. And it's uh, more than any of that. That is what scares me moving forward. This guy quit in the biggest game of the season. And I, I don't know how you approach that moving forward. If you can't beat this version of Victor Oladipo off the dribble, you have to do the little things. And James Harden's forgotten what the little things were a decade ago. It, it's yep. really tough to watch. And look, this is a bad team for him. So a tough matchup for him. But like the playoffs, you, you don't get the Knicks in the playoffs. Like you're going to always have bad matchups. To win a title, you're probably going to have to win some bad matchups. Yeah. The good, the good teams, they, they play in the final rounds of the NBA playoffs. Yeah, no, that, that's how that news, works. That's how news that works. at 11, James Harden. And look, I, what I'd like to have seen, what it looks like, because I, I still think his style of play and his skills can help make Joel Embiid better. 
and we'll debate how much that's worth here when we talk about the next contract. But is it enough to beat the Bucks? And we'll never know because Joel Embiid wasn't remotely himself after uh, after that elbow. But that's terrifying. It's terrifying. Um, Look, it's terrifying. And if uh, I guess I'm not quite as down on in general, like if, if Harden could just get a little healthier, I think what Maxi has done this year has really made me made me a believer in him. And I think it's just a huge thing for this team. And look, their depth was was horrible, by the way, too. And we're also talking about the fact that Danny Green is not going to be available. Oh, and honestly, we should have we should have mentioned that way earlier for him to blow out the way he did both his ACL and his NCL in a way that just looked like it was a devastating amount of pain. Did you say NCL? No, I said LCL, ACL and LCL. Or at I think, least that's I think, what I meant I think to say. Said, I, think, I think he like said N, and then you, you did the NCO. And, There's no NCO, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying. No, I think I was saying end, and it maybe eh, Who fucking cares? We're a podcasters. <laughs> you can't expect me to be able to speak coherently. Um, <laughs> It was just, it was devastating to see. It was devastating Brutal. to see him the day after in crutches. It was honestly devastating to hear him say like, hey, I'm optimistic. I think it may have avoided major ligament damage might just be the LCL. And then like an hour later, we find out that it's both for a guy who's 35 has a non-guaranteed contract or will be 35 here in a couple of weeks has a non-guaranteed contract and is at the tail end of his career. Like not that you ever want to see any major knee knee injury, uh, but that is a, that's a devastating piece of news in the final game of the season. It's just brutal. Brutal. And And by the way, that's part of the other reason they lost that game because Danny green got hurt three minutes into the game. And the Sixers, by the end of this, they had five guys you could actually trust in a playoff series. Yeah. Five. And he was one of them. So, and, you know, you play Thibel at the beginning of the second half of that game, and it's ridiculous because he can't play offense. You can't play Niang because he can't play defense. So you're... And by the way, Niang, his uh, his plus minus throughout the series is Amazing. Like the, it's he like made the like all- six shots all series, and he has like the team leading plus minus. It's the all-time, you, you, you can't just use plus minus in single games and net rating because he was bad uh as you all know by now we've teamed up with bet mgm this season we'll be using the bet mgm lines to make all our picks and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week if you haven't signed up for bet mgm yet use the bonus code ta basketball and you'll get a one year subscription to the athletic plus up to a one thousand dollar first bet offer on your first wager with bet mgm here's how it works Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABASKETBALL. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-2707-117 for confidential help in Michigan. In partnership with Kansas, Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at one 866 2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge sports betting is void in georgia hawaii and utah and other states where prohibited promotional offers not available in nevada and new york don't forget 
If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABASKETBALL and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic Plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. So, yeah, for Danny to get hurt like that, it yeah, it's such a bummer because he said, you know, I've never dealt with a major injury like this. And this year, it was 60, I think he played like 62 games in the regular season. That's the fewest games he's played since he became a regular player in the NBA in 2011. 2012 so like he's even in these uh you know in these shortened seasons he's still playing all of these games so you know for a guy who he went through a lot of stuff this year where he was dealing with nagging injuries all year where his hamstring was screwed up and he was in and out of the starting lineup because they went with Matisse for a little bit by the time the playoffs came around he was the healthiest he was all season and he was proving to everybody that hey you know I'm not the defender that I was in San Antonio but I'm competent enough on that end of the floor that I can be playable in a play. Like when it matters, you can trust me to play basketball. Like, yeah, don't put me on Trey young, but besides <laughs> that, like I- I'm a huge part of this team. And when you have guys like Tyrese Maxey and James Harden, or, or yeah, those two guys. All right. Well, I can, I can make the threes off the ball. So for him to go down like that. Yeah. Personally, cause he's such a good guy. And like, you saw it, you know, he's on crutches, shaking hands with people after the game. He's on crutches. He didn't have to do his exit interview yesterday. Like, yeah, definition of a professional so i mean good luck to uh to danny i I feel mostly just really bad for him but the sixers need danny green at 10 million dollars like he's like a competent basketball player now they they have to completely start from scratch and okay yeah they don't have to make a james harden trade this year so you know if they hit on one of these minimum signings or whatever like you said not a lot of room they don't have to trade that guy away this year to to be attached to a guy who doesn't want to play freaking basketball for you. But it's going to be hard to build out that depth. You know, Miami's, it was a joke how much better their fifth to ninth men were. Yeah. Even more. They're, yep. they're 11 men. And that comes from player development. That comes from, uh, you know, hitting on, you know, undrafted free agents, those type of things. And the Sixers have a lot of work. And, you know, look, I think Daryl Morey might be pretty good at that. I, I I'm it just not, It usually takes years to build that up. To, to build it to championship level yeah. where that's like that's making an impact in the playoffs. Because honestly, like what Daryl did this year, Niang and Drummond, those were good regular season signings to help you win those games. I don't think those guys were swinging playoff series in the way that Miami's depth really kind of helped. I mean, Jimmy was obviously a beast, but their their depth just wore on the Sixers in this series. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, Gabe Vincent is a playable player because they they signed him three years ago and spent three years developing. You don't really have three years to go find your next Gabe Vincent and hope that he can, uh, work Max his Struce way into too. A, yeah. Max, Max Struce, what I think two years they've had him in the quote unquote program. Uh, it takes time to work those players up and maybe, you know, maybe Paul Reed can take a step next year. Maybe Charles yeah. Bassey. And I think uh, they certainly, can. Yeah. I mean, Tyrese Max, you give the Sixers credit for, but they need way more playable depth for sure. And that's why, again, there's a part of me that when I take a step back from this monstrosity of a end of a playoff series, I can talk myself into, well, maybe now that James Harden has an off season to really get back into his version of peak basketball shape. And he's not rehabbing the hamstring. He can be better than he was this year. Not maybe not what he was a couple of years ago, but better somewhere in the middle. Maybe you get enough depth and you don't completely fall off a cliff in the playoffs. 
that can help improve their chances. Joel Embiid doesn't have a broken face and a torn thumb. That'll improve their chances. I, and by the way, I don't want to hear injury prone for him. Those are two freak injuries. Complete Those... freak injuries. 100%. I agree. If this was a foot or a knee or lower back, something like that. If it was like la- that, sure. last year, like the meniscus. Yeah, and okay. It's not then, even like I, I heard some people being like, oh, well, the Sixers have to figure out how to get him to the playoffs healthy. Well, this, these weren't like chronic use injuries. This was a freak elbow to the face. Uh, this and, was getting a finger was, caught in a jersey. Yeah. Okay. So keep going. You, you, you. I interrupted you, but you talked about Maxi. You talked about Harden but being yeah, better. If all, all of these things get better, I think the Sixers can be better, closer to a Finals contending team. It's just there's two things that I can't get out of my head, and it's the lack of competitive response, which, again, that's going to come up again in the playoffs if they get deep enough, and the fact that there's just so much uncertainty. I expected. I go back to what I wrote when they acquired. Harden and it's you know they Joel Embiid finally has a championship caliber running mate. We don't know that anymore. Not at this stage of his career. And that uncertainty doesn't mean it's not going to work out. It does mean that there's significantly more concern than I expect to have at this stage. Yep, I think that's that's well put. And you mentioned like like Paul Reed and he, he, even Doc who who was not going on the victory tour. Said after the season, he's like, "Man, I think Paul Reed's going to help us next year." Like I and I he agree with sung that. Charles Bassey's praises too, even though he doesn't play him. He sung his praises. I and I agree with that. Like yeah, I, I'm I not agree. even sure the Sixers need to get a backup center. I think I just split it between those two guys, and they'll be fine. Get me a wing who can dribble and defend and shoot. Yes, they need some two way wings in the Ugh. worst possible way. Can you just get? Can you get at least one Otto Porter type signing this year? That's that's the key. You know, can you, if you can get two of them, then I think you might actually really be in business because again, and I mentioned this earlier, Tyrese Maxey being this good is is cool, man. Like that's <laughs> that's a big deal. And yep. he's 21 years old and you got Doc saying that the kid still wants to keep working. So we know he's going to reach whatever potential he's going to have. You know, and I think these playoffs were a perfect reminder that Tyrese Maxey despite his 40-point scoring outbursts, his his moments where he just is absolutely unstoppable still needs to get better at yep. consistently running the offense, taking over from game to game. And look, some of that is that he's playing with James Harden and there is a little bit of a, of a give and take there. But the fact that he consistently showed that he has those flashes, yep. that he was consistently inconsistent with the, with the highs, just reaching such a great level. That's that's awesome, man. Like that's a that's a huge deal. That is a bigger win than the Sixers have had from an individual standpoint since like I guess Embiid, you know, since yeah. since Embiid playing this well. Uh and you know, Embiid's not getting any worse at basketball. I, I don't think. I think it's fair to say he's you know, he he talked about that he's gonna unlock some other levels and I just yeah, it just sucks. I, you would hope he would be healthy. So basically what what I'm saying is when you do step back from this, I, I do, I am a little more positive about this group moving forward. But the hardened part of this is just such. It's like you said, it's such a question mark, and his performance in that last game just left such a bad taste in in your mouth. Like the the lack of competitive fire in game six of the playoffs. We we wait all season for this, and to go out, yeah, like that yeah. is just. I, there's no getting around it. We sound like, you know, we sound like the sports radio host at, at six o'clock. Like, are, are, does this guy care? Honestly, does he care? Yeah. And it, it's, yeah. And he, even if you would have 
been aggressive. Like, I'm not sure I had much confidence in it. Like, yeah, maybe he has a game where the stepbacks are working like game four, but I'm not sure I have a ton of confidence in him creating great shots at this stage. He has to get himself into the best basketball shape of his life to overcome aging and the hamstring. And I just don't have a ton of confidence in that outlook either. Is he going to do that on a, you know, when the Sixers are offering him, I don't know, $20 million a year, $30 million a year, something like that? Like, they're obviously not, they're not offering him a max. If there's there's one benefit to the last couple of months, it's that that max has to be off the table. There's no way. There's just no way. No. There's no way. There's no team out there that's going to offer him even $35, $40 million a year. It's just not happening. So, I mean, and, you know, who knows? Maybe he opts in and, you know, from the Sixers standpoint, okay, yeah, that means he could walk the next year, but at least if he's trying to play for another contract, he would theoretically be playing hard and and in basketball shape. So, yeah, I mean, it's we're going to be talking a lot about James Harden, and unfortunately, it's it's not going to be that positive. What did um, what did you make of Maury and and Doc yesterday? Well, I think first thing I made of that we asked a lot of questions about you know, basically whether this was the version of James Harden he was expecting. He seemed like he was a little dodging that one a little bit. Like, oh, yeah. We like, we like James a lot. Yada, yada, yada. He brings a lot to the table. We got to unlock him. Yeah. But, I, you know, I think what most people are going to take away is the fact that Daryl Morey came out and said, yes, Doc Rivers will be the coach next year. Um, you know, I think I, I, I expected Doc to be back, if I'm being honest. This wasn't as indefensible. The way they played was indefensible, but the loss itself wasn't indefensible like last year's. I, I haven't seen the footage. Apparently, Doc was like in the, the huddle. They they caught him mic'd yeah. up like, play hard, fight for right. this. And he's, yeah. There's nothing he can do on that. I, Yeah. So I expected him to be back. Um, you know, I had a lot of people saying like, well, was Daryl going to say anything else when Doc was sitting right next to him? No, he wasn't going to say anything else. But the key there is that Doc was sitting right sitting next, next to him. him. You know, if you think to back to the Lakers, <laughs> like the Lakers had leaked that they were moving on before the freaking press conference was even over after the final game of the season. Yeah. Um, if the Sixers were going to make a change, they wouldn't have had Doc Rivers come up and be part of that press conference. Uh, so look, is there a chance that maybe... Doc Rivers will be like, I want to go to LA and the Sixers will be like, sure, go ahead. I guess theoretically that could be possible. Who knows whether or not Doc is interested in that and whether or not the Sixers would let him pursue that. But certainly I don't think the Sixers are going to come out here and in a week you're going to get a woge bomb saying that the Sixers, you know, fired Doc Rivers. I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to be the coach next year. Yeah, I think there's going to be a healthy degree of skepticism, I would say, around the league until that Lakers job is filled. The Lakers is, somebody else. does seem like the one one potential hiccup for sure. Yeah, there, there's no other job. It's it's the Lakers is the one that has been linked to Doc for a lot of time. But yeah, the fact that they were sitting next to each other, they didn't have to do that. They could have done individual press conferences. So yeah, it's uh yeah. Look, I don't think uh, this series was was Doc's fault. I mean, you could say you know is the message getting through, but I I just I, I think after a loss you can find so many ways to finagle the loss on the coach where I, you know, I think you got a lot of quote tweets for this one where he was like, what I took from this is we were not as good as the Miami heat. And I agree. I agree with him. And I, think I do the, agree with the, him. I don't think that's what a coach should say because it sounds like basically him saying I couldn't have done anything. And that's just not the attitude you sort of want from your coach. 
Well, but, but I don't think he was wrong either. Yeah, it's it's not the greatest thing. But again, it's this is Doc where he, he doesn't always say the right thing. And I, I will say, like, the Doc and Embiid, everybody was, you know, basketball Twitter, everybody was so fired up for their post-game press conferences to the point where Embiid drops like a little like, yeah, Harden's more of a playmaker than he's not the Houston guy he, anymore. He's not Houston. So they, so they take that little part of a longer answer and they run with that. And, you know, like what you just did with Doc, where I think both of those guys were on their best behavior for the most part. They did not want this to be a repeat of last year where it was like a complete shit storm. Uh, and also, I think the nature of the loss was kind of like that, too, where, you know, when you just get outworked. I mean, fuck it, you know, like whatever we we lost, you know, it's not yeah. it's not we passed up on a dunk at the end of the game. So, yeah, it's. uh I think there's a very good chance Doc is back, obviously, with, yeah. with what Daryl said. They're, they're not firing him. Um, and look, I would love to sit here and say that they are one upgrade at coach. They're not. Away from being a championship team. And do I think Doc is the answer? No, I'm not convinced Doc is the answer. But there's a lot more wrong with, with this team than just Doc. And a lot of that's going to come down to Daryl Morey and how quickly he can fix the rest of the pieces on the roster. A lot of that's going to come down to James Harden and whether or not he can make himself into being an actual difference maker deep into the playoffs. But this team has a lot of question marks and a lot of people that need to have career years until you get to the point where Doc is the actual thing holding them back. And again, I'm not convinced Doc is the answer. There's just a lot of questions you have to answer before that really comes into play. Yeah. I also, you mentioned Maury's answers about Harden of, Hey, you know, we just we gotta get him a full training camp. We gotta, you know, give him time, a full season, you know. And look, the off season I think is the big hope. Like you just hope that guy can get in shape, rest whatever's dealing with his hamstring, and get back to, like you said, you know, the, the middle ground between Houston Harden and this Harden. Just what you saw with the 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 the, um, Nets. the Nets last year before he got injured. That's what you need. You know, you know what also sucks about this? Harden, in last season's playoff series, he was playing with a completely busted hamstring. Yeah. And he didn't have anything, but it was the first time in a long time everybody said, well, hey, look, he really gave it a go. Like, he yeah. really just, he couldn't move, but he, good for him. Like, he's playing 40 minutes a game for the Nets. So, good for the, of course, the Sixers always get the the worst version where he's not that banged up now. He, he actually can move a little bit, and he just, he just barfs on the floor. He just, it's, uh, it's really bad. But anyway, Maury talks about, you know, all of these contextual reasons of, oh, you know, we, we get the offense, we get some new players around him, all of these different things. And I'm just sitting there thinking, you know, better than anybody. He's, he's, yeah. when he's good, yeah. he's the context. That's, it, it doesn't really matter what you put around him. Um, so th- th- he's got to get back to a much higher level than he I'd, played at. I would love to, you know, not that Daryl would ever be truthful about this, either in public or in private to us. I would love to know if he got what he was expecting from Harden. If he just missed how much he had lost in his first step in his burst, or if he thought that Joel Embiid could help hide the fact that Harden had taken that big of a step back. I, I would love to know what he was truly expecting because that was not, it that was not 
what I think anyone was hoping for when they made that trade. And again, I still like there's aspects of Harden's game I like quite a bit, <laughs> mostly as it relates to his passing. But they need I mean, more. They need just need way more. I mean, the highs were good. He had 17 assists in a closeout game. He was awesome. Yeah. He, you know, he had 31 points making all those stepbacks, which again, I think were fluky and a little bit lucky, but he did that in the fourth quarter of a, a key playoff game. You know, I don't think CJ McCollum could have done that. I, I don't really think that some of these players that people are. No, I'm not saying, pining for CJ for sure. Saying, well, actually, you could have had these guys. I don't think Seth Curry could have done that. I don't think, you know, that the combination. Of drumming, I think the highs were still still there, but man, the lows and what we saw were just ew, ew, bad. <sighs> Hopefully, this is the low point of our off season, and we can get back to being slightly more positive, or at least not quite as negative, because that was not a, a super fun podcast to do. No, and then again, I- it was not a super fun couple of games to watch either. Well, okay, so let's end it on a positive note because I, I think it gets lost in the the pursuit of a championship. It gets lost in, you know, the the disappointment of losing. That was an epic season from one Joel Embiid. Yeah. Epic. Like, round of applause, unbelievable, pleasure to watch, pleasure to follow the entire year. And, you know, we'll see how... I, the, the worst part is after losses, I keep hearing, oh, you know, he's he's going to ask for a trade soon and his body's breaking down to the point or whatever. I, guys, I, I don't know. He just played at the, like, a literal MVP level for, for two straight years. Yeah, I, I think it's it's a bummer that the Sixers wasted those seasons, but I don't know. Can there be some appreciation for how good this guy is and the, the fact that you're living in the middle of, I don't know, like an epic Philadelphia athlete? Epic. Yeah. No, if you went through and ranked the top players that this franchise has drafted and it's very long and relatively storied history, he's very close to the top. And we can debate Barkley and Iverson. I think there's more of a de- debate than some people would give that credit for. But then you have to go back to a guy who was taken with the territorial draft. You have to go back so far. I mean, there are just not very many people who have had a better career that were homegrown and brought in through the organization. And look, I've always, that's always given me some concern that they're going to waste it because people are, Oh, you know, trade and bead while you can blah, blah, blah. Process wasn't worth it. It is exceptionally difficult to get a guy who can play at an MVP level, multiple years running. And the risk of, and the concern of wasting that is Always, just because it's so difficult to get that is always at the top of my mind. But you still have to take a step back and say, dude, you've got one of the two or three best players in the world. Like, you still have a chance, which is why it goes back to how we sort of started this podcast off. The depressing thing is you just don't know what you have around him. And through all of the GMs and all of the coaching changes and all of this, now, you know, it used to be you had Simmons and Embiid as a base and you shuffled in the two or three remaining starters and all the bench every year, which it seemed like you did shuffle them almost every year. Well, now you shuffled the supporting star around him and you still just don't know what you have. They have a monster of an offseason coming up to address a lot of their shortcomings as a team and as a roster around him. Um, you would hope there would be a little more certainty around that, but this is Philadelphia and 
bad things happen in Philadelphia, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's a good good way to end it. Yeah, and bad things happen, and the, the bearer of bad news is Jimmy Butler. <laughs> yeah, no shit. No shit. First time we mentioned him. But uh, yeah, he, he was fucking fantastic. Incredible. Incredible performance. He's 33 years old, and he's, unlike Harden, um, I'm not worried about his effort level in playoff games. And, nope. You know. We were worried about how he was going to age. We were worried about that contract. Well, yeah, well I'm, worried I, about, I'm worried about his next contract that he just signed. That's yeah. that's a little crazy. <laughs> like He's going to be 37 by the end of it. I'm not worried about Jimmy right now, though. He uh, he was excellent, and he uh, he let the Sixers know about it. So that's... Uh, he did. Yeah. He did. Well, the, the good news is they signed Horford, who worked out really well. And by the way, by the way, Horford... Pretty good player. Who completely, who completely submarine their franchise. Oh yeah, now that he's back in Boston, he's good again, and he's playing in an epic playoff series. All right. I mean, that uh, was that was the definition of just a bad fit. Like good player. Quite uh, frankly, I don't want to. Yeah, I don't want to get. We don't need to rehash the Al Horford situation. Depressing enough. Uh, bad fit. Bad fit. He was dogging it a little bit. I'll just say that. Okay, <laughs> let's keep going. Well, I don't. I don't know if I have too much to add. I feel like I've been. Do you got anything else? Yep, we had to we had to get through it. So we'll have plenty of time to talk here in the weeks and months ahead because the off season once again is a little longer than we all would have hoped for it to be. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on, and we will talk to you soon. See you, man.